Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Blind Spot, friends. Uh, this is kind of a fun week because I scheduled a conversation with one of my friends from the green room, Derek Kirkland, and I thought that I would be doing my usual thing, which was interviewing him. And as the conversation started to unfurl, Derek and I had never spoken one-on-one before. This is our very first getting-to-know-you conversation, and it became evident to me pretty quickly that he was actually interviewing me. So it was kind of fun to be in the opposite seat. Now, the cool thing about Derek is that he is also a three with a two wing. So it's a little bit like looking in a mirror. So as you listen to this conversation, I hope that you will pick up on what's similar and what's different. Derek has a different instinctual stack. Now, Derek identifies as being social dominant. I identify as being self-preservation dominant. Now, Derek has not listened to the other Enneagram podcasts and isn't familiar with John Lukovich's work. Derek is a strategic change leader at DPR Construction. This is a global construction company that specializes in technical construction projects. And he spent almost 20 years with DPR, and his current role is focused on team integration and team dynamics. He supports business units and large projects to solve complex organizational challenges with business strategy and people-centric solutions. Derek is also a professional certified coach through New Ventures West in San Francisco, and is also a certified organizational development coach and a certified Enneagram practitioner. He has a genuine curiosity and love for meeting new people, which is embedded in his personal mission statement of making every interaction count. So I love this introduction of Derek. This interaction absolutely counted for me. It was so fun to get to know him, and I just love how open he was. Now, the cool thing about Derek is that he also shared with me the results of his IEQ 9 that he had done. And what I think is so cool about it is that while Derek definitely identifies as being social dominant, when he looked at his IEQ 9, this actually has him pegged as sexual or one-to-one dominant and actually has social as lowest. So this is why I'm doing this podcast. I definitely think that all of these different measurements are measuring interesting things, but I'm not sure that they're measuring the instinctual stack in the way that we're coming to understand it. So I'm simply highlighting that while Um, The IEQ-9 does give you an instinctual stack. I also know that the READY or the Enneagram Institute also has a test for instinctual stack. And I also know that Big Hormone Enneagram does um, instinctual stack typing. And if you use these different systems, also Mario Sakura has one, you will come out with different stacks. So what I am personally passionate about is not deciding who's right or who's wrong. I have no allegiance to any of these systems. 
What I care about is that we all get on the same page. So if you're going to continue to listen to my podcast, you're going to hear me bring out what it is that I think the IEQ-9 is measuring, what it is that I think Mario's assessment is measuring, what it is that I think the big hormone Enneagram people are measuring. Personally, I will say that if you are using this for transcendence, so if you really want to understand your own inner workings because you're interested in reaching higher levels of consciousness, I am a fan of what Big Hormone Enneagram is doing. I really think that if you listen to their podcast episodes, if you read John's book that you've heard me talk about and that my other colleagues have known, that this is what I think helps us most for transcendence. I'm coming to see that I think the IEQ-9 and Mario Sakura's um, test can be really, really great for helping organizations and teams to understand the strength set that people are bringing, because we know that it's not just about type. We also know that you can use the MBTI in a corporate or a team-based setting, and you can also use the instincts to understand this. So I really think there's value with what everybody's doing, but I don't think we have consistency. So that's what I'm really excited to keep talking about. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Derek and I. I believe that Derek is actually social self-pressed sexual blind. So what I'd like you to listen to as you hear the conversation is notice that a social dominant is going to engage with people around social topics. Notice that Derek starts asking me about my children and he really keeps his focus on my personal story, I would say. He's really kind of trying to navigate that social realm with me, which I'm trying to do too, but I notice that my attention goes more to his work and his vocation and like, what is he being called to do? And when I was listening back, I'm like, I never asked Derek if he has kids. I know he does have children because he talks, talks about being a father, but interestingly, that's not where my attention was drawn. So that's just one thing that you can cue into. Also notice that he doesn't think about his self-pres needs as much as social, I would say. When you hear about what's important to him, it's about the team. It's about the 11,000 people. It's about his social environment. Whereas if you've been listening to me, you guys all know that I've got all my self-pres neuroses that you'll hear me talk about a little bit more. The other thing that I want to highlight is about competition. I think this is an interesting word. Social threes are more competitive than self-pres threes. Self-pres threes are very competitive with themselves and around their work product, but we hear this social three talking about competition even with sports. Personally, like I have never played a competitive sport. When I play tennis, I just want to play my best game. Um, I think that both with social and probably sexual threes, you'll hear a little bit more of that. And when I talk to Derek about his sexual instinct and his one-to-one -one connection, we hear him say that it is important to be an attractive partner and a good parent. And I think that threes are striving for excellence in all these domains. So I think you often see this in all the different threes. Another thing that I just want to highlight in this episode is that I am an ENTP, Cognitive Preferences, and Derek is an ENTJ. So this is really interesting because 
my top four cognitive functions and Derek's top four cognitive functions are opposite. So if Derek and I were actually working together in a team-based environment, we would have to acknowledge that we are bringing completely different strengths to the environment, even though we are both threes with a two wing. So I don't know Derek very well. This is my only conversation that I've had with him besides email exchanges where he gave me permission to use this interview, as well as to share things about his IEQ9 and his bio that I read to you. So it would be really fun to continue to explore how all of this emerges. And I hope that you enjoy Derek interviewing me on sort of what my inner life is more like. And I also share a little bit about the journey that I've been on and what's emerging. So I hope that you enjoy it. Thank you. So remind me, I know you you said it in your intro when we started the green room, but which part of the country are you in? I'm in Chicago. Where are you? Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. Oh, excellent. My son just got accepted to ASU. Oh, good. Yeah. What's he, what's he going to, what's he going to study? Well, I don't think he's going to go, but, um, you know, we don't know. We're in this whole, like the, yeah, I like we, we live in, um, University of Illinois, um, has a better reputation and he probably will have friends there and whatnot, but like, yeah, you know, you can't like University of Illinois, it's like going being in California, like it's still a very competitive state school. So most kids will apply to other state schools too. But I think he'll get into U of I and he's he's more of a local guy. So he probably would rather stay closer to friends and closer to home. Yeah, and I'm sure it it's dependent on what he wants to major in as well. Well, he wants to do sports business. Um he's like gonna do business analytics because like he would love to work for the, he's a big football fan. And he would love okay. to be an NFL scout and scout uh-huh. players for the NFL. But he's kind of like a, he's a very, um, he's like a regular guy. Do you know what I mean? Like most mm. people in the green room, men are probably not like your average American regular guy, you know? <laughs> he's just, you know, a relaxed, regular, like he he kind of wants, he'll, he'll be, he's, he's not going to feel like a, square peg in a round hole in this world. I don't think he's, um, he's just going to flow into the business world and sports and be happy and married and have kids. And, you know, I think that he'll be, um, he won't have that whisper of discontent that we seekers seem to have. I, I don't suspect mm. he's, you know, going to have an easier mm. time of life. I think. <laughs> well, it sounds like he has clarity. He has clarity of purpose. Yeah. And a strong sense of self. Which... Yeah, he really does. I mean, he's, I think he's a, I can't decide if he's a three or a nine. He mm. rides the three nine arrow, which I know sounds like a strange arrow, but his dad's a nine and I'm a three. And I honestly think that he somehow escaped our very average tendencies and kind of pulled in very he can he can relax and he can work hard and I just watch him with a lot of ease have a lot of balance between his three and mm. nine energy and uh, and then I think that you know if you believe in trifix he's got a lot of six energy too so it's like really mm-hmm. healthy attachment is how I would describe him. <laughs> That's wonderful and it yeah. looks like if if I'm looking over your shoulder it looks like you have a daughter as well. Yes, I have. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'll I'll look the four of them. Here's the crew. Okay. All That's right. a cute family oh, picture. And my daughter lives in LA. She's, um, she would like to go to medical school. She's, um, 
Unfortunately, I didn't start on a growth journey until she was 13. So I locked in all of my dysfunctional three-ish, six-ish habits, like just got implanted onto her brain. So, you know, Mm. she's an angsty three, six, you know, somewhere in there and is just, you know, 23 and it has a bad case of not enoughness. Mm. Yeah. You can see so much possibility and want to do all of it perhaps. You know? Yeah, well, well, she wants to go to medical school, but it's very, very competitive and she's not getting she worked so hard. And for all you know, she graduated UCLA with a 3.9 in neuroscience and she studied her butt off for MCATs and did well, but not, you know, didn't knock it out of the park. And she's just like worked so hard on her applications and it's just not turning out exactly the way that she wants to. But I'm not even 100 percent convinced that medicine is what she should do and but she's kind of shifting towards other things in like a reactive panicky way. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, how about we just like, it would be fine to take like three months to just like sit in the disappointment of failure, which as a three, like my heart like goes out to her because, oh my God, sitting with a failure and not reactively like trying to fix it or go to the next thing is probably the hardest. It's really hard. So like I have like huge amounts of compassion and it's taken me a decade to get better at that. So with a lot of intentionality. So, um, mm. yeah, my heart, my heart's, uh, really big for my sweet little 23 year old angsty girl that has to figure this stuff out. Well, the be- the beautiful thing about having that accessibility so much to the six is she can see all the permutations. You can see all the possibilities. The narrative just perhaps is, it, it ends up being more doomsday than possibility. Yeah. So that's why I can't decide if she's um, a, a three or a six um, because yeah, she's, and and I mean, I, I, some people think that I'm a six sometimes, you know, but that's just because I'm a self-pressed three and we often look sixy. Yeah. What are you, well, by the way? What, what point are you? Three, three, two, three, two, okay. but, but I can absolutely experience the six and I can feel it both directions of it okay the ability to strategically see what what is possible and also in my weaker moments the the negative chatter that comes up about this conversation or that thing that happened and and what it could translate to yeah so yeah for sure yeah i'm a three with a two wing as well so that's fun yeah there you go we're looking in a mirror yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and that's perhaps that's perhaps why the the commentary in the the text box during the call sort of resonated and led led to us having this this discussion about the being a vessel for the rain and and my comment about my basic instinct to want to stay dry and it's yeah. it, that that mirroring maybe what got, got us to be here together. So. Oh, I love that. I you know I had no idea what your type was, but yeah, I think that that's really interesting that. Um, when somebody of your type says something from their heart space and you're open to authenticity and vulnerability in your own, you're like, yes. You're like, ooh, let's talk about that. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So, so would you tell me you about have? your, well, I would, I just would be so curious to hear. I love hearing about people's like journeys. Like, I don't yeah. know, like how did I'm. You know, as you know, like, well, I don't know what you know. I'm happy to share about mine or I'd love to hear about yours, whatever feels more right for you. Yeah, you, you've, been, you've been sharing. If it feels 
if it feels okay for you to continue, maybe you continue and then I can. Sure. Yeah. I don't I mind at all. Reciprocate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to decide where to start. You know, <laughs> um, you know I, like I said, I um, just such a classic three with a two wing. I mean, I, uh, so, and, and my instinctual stack is self-pressed, social, sexual, blind. Do you know yours? I'm social with one-on-one and then self-pressed blast. Got it. So sexual. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sexual second. Uh-huh. I've been in our environment, in the construction industry environment, referring to it as sexual is, is not something that lands well with our employee base. So we've been right. referring to it as just one-on-one. Right, right. Well, that and, and that's actually my primary zone of interest right now is discussing instinctual stacking um, because mm-hmm. there's discordance in the community around how to talk about instincts, which has me really, mm-hmm. really curious. Um, I don't know. I want more clarity. You know, I also really enjoy talking about things through cognitive functions. So like Myers-Briggs is really important to me because I'm a, I'm a heart-centered thinker. Like my, my preferred cognitive process is introverted thinking. So I like map making and trying like mm-hmm. clarity and understanding is really what fuels me. And then extroverted intuition is my dominant function. So I discover things through these conversations with other people. So um, yeah. that's sort of what fuels these types of connections for me. And I think that when you combine cognitive functions and Myers-Briggs with the Enneagram, for me, this entirely new landscape opens up, especially when you then put instinctual drives on top of it. And it just mm-hmm. makes so much sense for me, like what, what's, what's happening for people. And it makes, I can really see what's happening for me. So do you know Myers-Briggs at all? Did you? Have you yeah, done that? so I'm an ENT, ENTJ. Okay. We as, we as an organization have moved more towards Enneagram as the primary yeah. because it seems like it lands for employees more yeah. readily. They can relate to it. Yeah. But we've used it. We've used MBTI as well. Okay, cool. And um, what, how do you experience your ENTJ-ness? Like, what do you, what does that mean to you? Or do you not, how do you not dove into yeah. the Indian psychology as uh, much? No, I haven't dove into the psychology as much. I, what comes up for me though, when you ask the question, I'm conflicted a lot uh-huh. with the extrovert introvert. There's, uh-huh. there's moments where I feel absolutely in that space. Yeah. And, and I relate it back to Enneagram. There's moments where I'm, I'm also very nine and I just want my own, I just want to lay on the couch and watch mm-hmm. TV. Yeah. So I end up, my scores are all very close in terms yeah. of introvert, extrovert and the judge. Yeah. Again, I relate it to the threeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The narrative inside of my head, the constant internal scorekeeping of it all. So um, I'm getting certified also. I'm doing Russ's stuff, so I'll be certified for Enneagram teaching um, August 2023 through his shift classes. I don't know if you were familiar. He was doing those. And then I'm also doing typology training. So I'm, I'm just really like seeing the two come together. And the way yeah. that Myers-Briggs is typically used is, I don't think that helpful, whereas the way that um, if you take the archetypes, the Jungian psychology and pull it in, it feels more like yeah. green room type work where it's really mm. um, helping to understand. So part of what I'm also interested in is testing my theory, like is what I'm seeing the way these two systems integrate making sense to people in the Enneagram community that, um, you know, have some longing for self-understanding, you know, and, and like, does the way 
you know, if I tell you what I love about Myers-Briggs, does it work for you? Does it land? Does it add any additional insight or am I making all of this up? You know, like that's partially why I like talking to people too, because I think they're two beautiful systems. But even, you know, I like to be transparent about my agenda and what, you know, gets me off and what I like talking about, but I really want the connection and just to know you and hear about what makes you excited. And, you know, is this about connection or what are you curious about and why are you in the green room and all of that? So I'll back it up um, because I also, that's my extroverted intuition, which goes like ping, 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 which makes me look like a seven, but I'm actually a three because I have, I don't have the shamelessness of the seven. I act like a seven and then feel bad about it. So, (laughs) but um, yeah, so the three thing, you know, I was a physician, did that whole med school thing, worked really hard. Married the guy, started dating at 19, at 23, started having babies at 25, you know, had four kids, settled in the suburbs because I basically was just looking at the American script of like, what do people do? Which in my mind seemed to be like, work really hard at school, get training at something that is going to make you a living and you can be a responsible member of society um, get married, have babies, live in the suburbs. And I had no idea what was after that. Like <laughs> my vision kind of took me to about my mid thirties when as a typical three, I had clicked off all of my goals, objectives and operations, and then started having this whole, like, wait a minute, I don't actually like this life I've created for myself. Like what the hell? Mm. Like, look at this gilded mm. cage, you know, I, you know, people used to call my ex-husband and I Ken and Barbie. We kind of like really looked the perfect suburban part and something, I think it was my sexual blind spot coming online and started having a very strong aversion to this world that I had unconsciously created. And so I started mm. blowing it up because an unconscious emerging sexual instinct tends to be destructive And, um, you know, got divorced, walked away from, you know, four years and three months into a five-year partnership buy-in into a well-established medical practice, Um, started my own practice, started my own journey into exploring, like, what kind of people do I actually like? What kind of work do I actually want to do? What kinds of things actually turn me on? You know, just sort of getting really curious Mm -hmm. about that and finding it so shocking to realize that I could be 40 years old and have no idea the actual Mm. honest answer to any of those questions. So Mm. typology has been very helpful for me to understand how that could be true and to actually lead me in directions that have been incredibly helpful. So I'm really always working on my incorporating my hidden piece of nine. I access six pretty well. I actually love community. Um, I tend to, I know I'm a three because I step into leadership voids like that. Like I just love to lead. And when I get fired up about something, I act in a very assertive way. I have a very hard time doing like a dependent stance. I just sort of lean in and go after what I want. (laughs) And I'm trying to do that more skillfully. But I just love community. I mean, my social instinct is second. So all of those kinds of things around belonging and 
attachment and serving some higher thing. Like I really can vibe around that. And that feels really good. It's the uh, letting be. It's the allowing things to emerge. It's the just resting in the space. And it's turning off without feeling that restless energy, like stir me to do something else that um, I have to work with a lot more. And uh, then I have a lot of object relations because my mom's a one and my dad's an eight. So if I just look at things I get tripped up around, it's around low side of one things, like a lot of strong inner critic and a lot of judgment of others, as well as a lot of object relations around, you know, having low nine and a father who's an eight. I actually mistyped as an eight in the beginning because I have a lot of positive associations with directness and bluntness and that strength. But as a three, yeah, it's often more of an act and I'm much more comfortable in an authentic, vulnerable, compassionate, heart open. And I don't know, I don't do the tough thing that well. It look, it just doesn't, it's more just, yeah, it's just not good. I'm trying to step away from recognizing that what I thought was just eight energy is actually disintegrated emotional reactivity coming from my heart center that looks impatient mm. and aggressive and moves too fast and can blow over people. So um, that's sort of where I'm at with my journey. I like talking about trifix. I think that it's an interesting model. Some people want to stick with arrows and wings. But, you know, if you like trifix, I identify as having a seven fix, but that's really the extroverted intuition that comes from the Myers-Briggs cognitive processes that I do. Yeah. And the one stuff is my object relations with my mom. So 371 would be the trifix that I would identify with, but you can explain all of this in a million different ways. And I'm totally always willing to go with whatever explanation lands within the frame that the person I'm talking to is most comfortable with. Cause I think we're mm -hmm. talking about the same things with different language. How would you describe yourself without using MBTI or Enneagram vocabulary or reference point? Mm. So what came up for me when you said that um, was a lot of anxiety because I'm like, oh, he wants to take me out of introverted thinking, <laughs> which is like what I go to when I'm not extroverted intuiting. And like he's actually asking me to get into the heart center and go to feeling. And um, hmm. yeah, that's really sweet. And I just appreciate that you invited that shift. And I and and Cara, Cara, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but but I but I also it came up for me, so I I felt called to ask you the question. Well, and I love so. that you did because that's actually one of the primary ways I lose connection with people is I get really heady, which is why sometimes people think I'm a six, because mm -hmm. the mental maps are like, especially when I'm in a social zone meeting somebody for the first time. It's a way mm. that I try to create understanding of myself and try to gain understanding of another person. But if that's not mm -hmm. a preferred cognitive preference, it's actually really disconnecting. For me, I wouldn't say it's preferred or not preferred. It was just, that was the curious question that came up for me. That's yeah. All. And so um, ask it again. So who are you without using the vocabulary of MBTI or Enneagram? Yeah. Well, and that, you know, I think... The reason that I pause when I say that is because I think it's an ongoing discovery of who I am. And, you know, I could get really like weird and say like, I'm everything and nothing, you know, but that's like, just feels squirrely and like you're avoiding the question. 
Um, (laughs) And so, um, you know what I mean? Like what pops up is like, people ask Jesus, like, are you the son of God? And he's like, I am who you say I am. You know, like Jesus was probably an attachment type. I think it's finding the location, finding your location. I, I think for attachment types that that's what we're forever trying to do. And so if you were to ask me, like, who am I? I mean, ooh, like big things come up for me, like essence qualities, you know, like mm. more of an energetic feel. Like, it's like, I really, really do feel like I connect with who and what I am. And what that is, is, I mean, it's really beautiful, you know, and it even feels vulnerable to say that, like the, um, like, I feel like I'm a really beautiful being. Like, I feel like I'm love and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm tender. I feel like I'm curious. There's a lot of childlike energy that comes up. Um, Who am I? I'm a seeker. I'm a student. I'm a mother. It's like the other thing that's coming up for me is Thich Nhat Hanh's poem, Call Me By My True Names. Do you know this poem? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm. I kind of want to share it. Can I share it? Or, or, is that, or is that moving away from what you're asking me? But it's like I'm, I'm just having a hard time answering without metaphor. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand the words you're saying just now, but I also am experiencing absolute clarity in the things you're sharing about yourself. There's nothing... Yeah jumbled confusing it's a it's a thread that is that is just going deeper is the way i'm experiencing what you're sharing so if the poem feels what you're called to share let no i don't need it i don't need it um i notice that i go to these things because what comes up for me is this deep longing to be understood and to connect with you you know like i don't feel like i know you yet and for me like I just really enjoy hmm, what I really enjoy right now is just opening up vulnerably to what's my true experience in the moment, because as a point three and an attachment type, I find my location in some ways through what I call echolocation, where I throw Mm -hmm. something at you. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm speaking with somebody that's present, they're going to throw something back at me. And then I have choice about Mm -hmm. what I want to do with that and how do I hear it. And what you threw back at me was like an invitation into deeper self-connection. And then I'm finding that through that deeper self-connection, I call it heart streaming. My heart energy opens up and it's really sweet for me to hear that even through Zoom, you know, that you can feel it, you know, that you're experiencing the heart connection. Yeah. And can can I, can I make an additional observation? Yeah. So in the beginning of the conversation, I experienced your intellect, mm-hmm. your sharp insight, like the, the pointed, direct intelligence of who you are. Yeah. I experienced in the second half of what you shared, the softer, gentler, more heart-centric sense yeah. of who you are. Yeah. So I'm sitting feeling like I got somewhat of a complete picture. glimmer. A glimmer, maybe it's an echo, like you said, yeah. a complete picture of who Kat Kara is in, yeah. in the, the joining of those two. And I love that because um, that feels really true, like that lands. So like when I talk about echolocation, you just threw something back at me 
that now I'm like going to take that away and I'm going to be like, oh, I love that because like I am both parts, you know, and for me, that feels like 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 the law of three coming together. Like there is this. And, and of course, I lead with the first one because as a three, I'm a competency type. And as a self-pres mm-hmm. three, I'm going to have a little more guardedness and I'm going to mm-hmm. lead with what has gotten me what I've um, what has made me feel more safe in society, which is my intellect which is like my knowledge, which is my clarity and things like that. My ability to speak. This other piece though, uh, is what I, I love having the opportunity to lean into, but I notice that I need somebody to help me go there. So the mm. other line that pops up for me is um, Ram Dass, I, I think said, we're all just walking each other home. So mm. I love connecting in these communities because you just walked me to the feeling heart-centered peace that I have a very hard time getting to when I'm not in connection with another human. And I'm practicing mm-hmm. it. Like I'm doing breath work now. I'm accessing more introverted intuition through strategies that are really more embodied, which is part of this nine piece that I'm trying to pull in. But it's so much easier for me to do that through a conversation like this, which is partially why I do it. Like I do it because it helps me to discover parts of myself and how to connect with those in ways that really serve me. And I just love knowing other humans. There's something about the connectedness and the beauty of whatever it is you're willing to share about how you experience it for yourself. Cause I think that many of us are not having these kinds of conversations out in the world. We're leading with the defenses and we're leading with the ego and I just love talking to green room people and the other consciousness communities, because the one thing I think we have in common is that there's some willingness to drop beneath all of that. Mm-hmm. Even an appetite. I would yeah. say there's an appetite for it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and on some of my podcast episodes, um, people are talking about a fourth instinct. And this is the instinct for like, transcendence or enlightenment or, you know, to Mm -hmm. move beyond. And I really Mm -hmm. am vibing with that. And in the Jungian psychology, Carl Jung called it the ninth cognitive function because we've got eight of them and he calls that the transcendent function. So I think he Mm -hmm. was touching on that too, which is just, yeah, this deep longing to say, oh my God, we're so much more than what we've taken ourselves to be. And how do we start mm-hmm. getting at that? Because that's where it feels like the gold is for me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. So now I'd love to hear whatever you want to share and how is that and how's yeah. it been for you? Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you reaching out and initiating this, first of all, because I, I'm very curious about humans in general, people from different backgrounds, especially not being born in the United States. I was born in Scotland. I grew up there, went to school there. So moving to the United States has been 25 years now. It's been an experience for me of meeting new people, diverse backgrounds, and I'm just genuinely curious about it. That's just the DNA of me. So when you speak, when you share that, it resonates strongly with me. So thank you for initiating the, this, this time for us together. I don't have a a background in medicine, clinical work, any of that. My background is in construction management. That's what I went to school for. 
I majored in construction management and then specialized in law and construction costs. My family has a history of being in construction, so that was the connection point. So my up until the last four years, all of my roles have been directly tied to our construction business in a variety of diff- different facets, including leading business units in our company. And it's during, it's during the progression of that, Cara, especially as a business unit leader. And as a company, we are 12,000 employees, $9 billion in revenue. The business I led was $450 million here in Arizona, just to give you a sense of scale. So 450 employees locally. And so I, in the business unit leader role especially, I started to experience myself as two things. One, the weight of responsibility, not of profit and loss, but of hearing and having responsibility for the 450 people that worked for our local business and the need to make sure they were providing for their families and taking care of that became really heavy for me to to carry. I felt such individualized responsibility for each of them that that I recognized that that specific aspect of running the business, while from a competency perspective, I was very good at it in terms of the numbers per se, just the, the physical toll it took on me. If we didn't win a project or a project didn't go well, it just, it became became very heavy, one. And two, I found myself lacking in terms of skills and proficiency relative to the types of conversations people were coming and asking me to have with them about their career journeys, about their families, about their life, their purpose on this, on this planet. And it, and it, it led me to, to start to go down a, a path of looking at coaching schools, people development, et cetera. Um, I discovered a, a school in San Francisco called New Ventures West, which is an integrated methodology of coaching, heart, mind, and body. It's tied to Enneagram. And I enrolled in that. And from there, it's led to me further, more deeply going into the people space, Enneagram in particular, organizational development. And now I'm in, in a role in the company where uh, I'm a corporate service employee, but really at, at large, so to speak, and deployed into projects or elements of the business that have a business challenge need, but also people development, team organization, some individual coaching. And so I'm loving it. The, mm. the sort of variety of that and the ac- accessibility to the 11,000 employees we have across the world. And be able to be to be able to experience it in a one step removed way that I'm not responsible for the profit and loss in the same way. I'm responsible for figuring out how to make the dynamics of it all work at a collective mm-hmm. level and yeah. also at an individual level. Mm. And I I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it. Can I reflect a couple things that I just observed? Please. You know, when I was listening to you talk, I love that we're both threes with two wings. But when I was listening to you talk, I'm like, wow, so social dominant. And I'm so self-pres dominant. Like it was just um, such a beautiful illustration of how that would look different. Can I mm. comment on what I was like just noticing and what my was happening in my brain? Yeah, I was listening to, um, I find that most social threes end up going into larger corporate structures. 
you know, that they mm. do well in these large corporate structures. And when you were talking about those numbers and the scale and the success and how many people you navigate, I was just like, wow. Whereas like for me, when I went to start my own company, I have four employees. We're all, you know, working moms and we take care of this, you know, pocket of people in the Chicago Northwest suburbs. And I've had so many people like want me to expand and it kind of exhausts me to navigate a lot of the stuff that happens in like corporate organizations, like in terms of like red tape or like, you know, waiting for something to have approval or I get a little bit worried, like, how will the impact be made? Like, there's something about liking to control my own little space that has really been very self prezzy And, you know, as I've moved more into social, I mean, my social instinct was really around, I so deeply care about my four employees, you know, like literally I want them to have everything in the world and like my four kids and my parents and family nest. But yeah, it was almost like it took, I wasn't wired to think about that larger scope because self-pres needs and like taking care of the home and the whatever was maybe something I was a bit neurotic about. And so I didn't feel like I had the capacity to take care of more people beyond my patients, you know, who yeah, that, yeah. that had like a definition, like I, I need to take care of you like in this way for this amount of time. And for me, as I'm like growing and expanding the longing to actually work with people in a bigger platform and in a bigger way. And as I've let go of a lot of the self-pres neuroses, like listening to you talk just sounds so exciting. And it just like feels incredible that you're taking this experience in coaching and now being able to touch so many lives because your instinctual energy really drew you into and you were so wired to really navigate that larger platform. And it just feels really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The, as, I, as, I, as I receive what you're giving back to me, the, the part that is very green roomish in the context of the scale of the organization, but also the, the current state of what I'm in the middle of, yeah. I've really begun to trust that I, I'm going to be invited or called to whatever is mine to do. Yeah. Because it, it's easy for me and I can catch myself wanting to have a greater impact to the 11,000 yeah. and feeling this sense of urgency and lack of action and activity yeah. or even control around that versus you know, what I'm being called to do today in this moment. And that's what I'm going to step into. And so it is very world green roomish, the context of, you know, world 96 and being able to sort of zoom in, zoom out to this broader content, or even just, you know, the, the black, the, the, the broadness of the black and the, and the spaciousness of that is the 11,000. It's all out there. Mm. I can relate to it conceptually. Yeah. But today I'm just grateful for what I've been able to get to, which is yellow. I'm here. I'm in the room connected to the table and this zoom call with you, which is the red. And just that, 
I don't feel anxiety, which which I would not have told you a couple of years ago, Carrie, Cara, that I don't feel the anxiety for the 11,000 that I would have a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, and I, I think that being social middle was a little protective for me as well, because as a physician, you know, I was at the bedside with people who are been undergoing profound suffering. And actually, mm. as I've been doing some of my healing work and doing more of what you invited me into, which is that like feeling space, a lot of my work has been around processing the grief that I would just have to mm. compartmentalize and go to the next patient because yeah. like really being next to death and dying in some ways I feel really wired for it as a self-pressed dominant person, because there's something very earthy about the body and about being there when people are giving birth and being there when people are dying. And this metaphor of like from dust, we come and from dust, we shall return. There's something like really earthy about that. But I think that I can tell that I've really protected myself from deeply feeling some of that. And I had to develop some better resources around mourning and around self-empathy and self-compassion and building these supportive networks like I feel like we have in the green room to really develop a capacity and willingness to go to those places and to just trust that whatever it is that comes up, like you said, we're going to be called into a certain space and that when we need support, support will be there and to just really experience that joy of also offering it when it's, when it's asked for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, and this, this role I'm in is one that I'm fortunate enough to have been able to create, which I'm extremely grateful for, but because it's a new role and it's non-traditional and it's nature inside of our company, the judge in my head is also chattering away oftentimes going, what are you doing? Yeah, I have that this, judge. <laughs> you, you're, well you're, you're, you're off to the side here in this thing, which means you're behind and, and compared to this person, you know, it's like at this stage of my life, that's exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I can, there's nothing I can do about the judge voice in its playing of the tape other than stand back from it and not let it be the truth, the yeah. singular truth. It's a, it's a perspective. Yeah. It's one perspective. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe you heard from in Green Room that, did you hear I'm taking a sabbatical, that I'm not doing clinical medicine right now? I heard that, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I've just not, well, I'm, I say I've not been working for three months. The reality is, is I'm very selectively working, you know, in the clinic. Like it's better, it's kind of like... If you tell your kids you're off duty and you go into your bedroom, you know, and you're like, yeah, I don't want you to bother me. They still knock on your door and ask things. And this is where you get to practice boundaries. So, yeah, I've told all my patients I'm not there. And, you know, I still probably see four or five every week that um, need me to step in. I'm it's kind of like Big Brother's always watching. Like I, I'm, I'm seeing everything that's happening, but I'm I'm hiding out. And really, it's because this project like I have such deep passion right now for the podcast that I'm doing and really collecting all of these conversations and just really leaning into my own self-discovery and giving myself some of that spaciousness and some of that time to be. And it's funny, though, because 
I feel more connected to life force and energy than I ever have been at any other point in my life. And like I said, I, my kids get, uh, walk out the door at seven 15 and until I have to go into mom duty at four 45, I'm doing this and, or my practices and, or some writing and, or some yoga, like, and, or whatever it is, you know, the, the green room. And like, I've just never felt more alive and more completely plugged in. And I don't have any idea where any of this is going. And I just know that I don't want to go back to practicing traditional medicine in my little space with my little four employees. And we're going to see what happens. So I'm, you know, trying. I Like I said, I have 12 years of college tuition over the next eight years to come up with. So my self-pres is aware that I can't not work forever. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that I'm going to lean more into a coaching role, you know, of working with where I'm called to work and I'm going to be getting myself um, out there a little bit so that people know that I'm available to do what it is that I've developed and that I know that I can do, which really is taking care of people. And what's emerging for me is that I've spent 20 years being a systems-based thinker about the body. So I know a lot about the cardiology and about the pulmonary and about the neurology. And, you know, I can sit here as an internal medicine doctor and synthesize and integrate that for you and say, this is your diagnosis. These are the treatment plans I'm recommending. These are the specialists I think that you should work with and the therapies that I think could be most helpful. And why don't you go try that and come back and then we can see where you are and then develop the plan further. And so it feels very organic that what I'm really moving into are these diseases of the heart and mind and maybe the soul that I can also use all of this information that's been so helpful for me in my own emergence and really, once again, diagnose, you know, this is what it sounds like you're stuck in this passion of your fixation or, you know, you're overusing this cognitive type or whatever. Um, and then if we resonate around that, okay, these are some strategies that I've discovered, like some groups, some teachers, you know, like I might try to focus on that. How about you do that for a little while and come on back and we'll uh, see how that was for you. So I, I feel like I'm moving into doing the same thing, but in a different way. Mm. Yeah. And perhaps less reliance on your learned medical, et cetera, expertise mm -hmm. and tapping into more of your heart. Yeah, a hundred percent. My heart and my sexual instinctual energy, which I describe the sexual instinct as like, what am I actually attracted to? Like, what am mm -hmm. I actually like? Oh yeah, there's chemistry here. Like there's a fit, like there's creativity, there's flow. It's not just about like, those self-present social needs feel different than when you're operating out of create out of like the more creative sexual instinctual energy, I would say. For sure. And, yeah. and it also becomes, at least for me, a, a, where's the recharge? Do I get most recharge from being by myself or, or sort of being in a group or these kinds of intimate conversations? I know what I'm drawn towards. Yeah. It's, so yeah. I don't have a big, a big cadre of friends. There's a smaller group of deep relationships that I have, which, again, is more in that one-on-one -on -one or sexual space. Yeah. I enjoy being in large groups. 
I enjoy being part of the bigger organization, but I also I also like time to myself. So it's it's more situational in that regard. But yeah. um, why do you consider yeah. yourself self-pressed blind? Will you talk about that for a minute? I wouldn't say blind. It's just it's not it's not what I if if I'm stressed or anxious or what comes up for me in terms of reflecting on experiences with people or being around other humans. I wouldn't say blind. It's just it's not what re-energizes me. It's not what I focus on. It's not mm-hmm. what I, you know. How's your self-care? I mean, you look like you're fit and healthy, and like you take care of yourself. Yeah, the the relationship with self. So I am disciplined, and I have a routine and a regimen. I've done a lot of endurance sports over the years, mm-hmm. so it, it also is a tricky place for me where I can suffer really well. Mm-hmm. which pushes it into a different space when you're talking about self-care. Mm-hmm. If it's repeated suffering for the sake of suffering and continuing to move forward, yeah. that's not self-care in the truest sense. Yeah, so you have some of that competitive energy where like, you'll oh, push yourself yeah, beyond n- what not, may be healthy. Not some of. <laughs> well, and is that why you identify as sexual middle? Because most of the people that I talk to who are exercising, who sexuals more online, there's something about that competitive drive and spirit that is very different from self-pres. Yeah, and it, it, it's also this desire, especially as a three, to be the attractive husband, to be the role model of of how to be a good father in relationships with other dads. It's like, it's that granular if yeah. I stand back from it. Yeah. And so. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I resonate with that part. Um, and like when I think of my my uh, fitness routine, like I love to challenge myself in terms of like, can I do that hike? You know, like, can I bike that long kind of a thing? But it's much more around what is my... Like, I want to be resourced and have capacity so that as challenges come to me in my life, I know that I can meet them physically. You know, I don't like to feel weak. I like to feel, you know, as strong as I can in my body as a middle-aged woman. Whereas, um, yeah, there's not really a big competitive aspect to it for me, even though threes are in theory competitive. Where I am competitive is really in work quality. Like, I feel embarrassed if my work if somebody's like, that's not good work. Do you know what I mean? Like the work that you did. Um, and and what I, when I see other people who are turning out like such beautiful work quality, there's this inner drive to say, oh, I want to like be, I want to be turning out that kind of work in the world. You know, it's more of, it's coming from this place of internal competition, I would say, as opposed to mm-hmm. necessarily measuring myself against the outside world. But as a three, of course, I'm acutely aware of what's also happening in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the exercise piece for me is, is in, the, in, the, in the more recent times about what am I exercising for? Mm-hmm. Why am I exercising? It's not to win the race. Mm-hmm. It's not to get the best time. It's not to suffer anymore. It's to create, hopefully create, a physical, mental body that is able to step into whatever yeah. the older I get. It's, yeah. that, it's that clarity for me, which causes me to have a different relationship with it. 
Yeah. How old are you? 51. I'll be 52 yeah. next year. Yeah. yeah, I'm 48. So yeah, I think we're at a very similar time in life where we're recognizing that we want to exercise to, uh, like, we don't want to hurt ourselves, right? Like, that's the other thing. I think if at this age, you are not careful enough, there are a lot of people that get injuries when they try to overdo it, I would say. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you. This has been really great to connect. Is there anything else that you wanted to ask me about or share? Or... No. No. How'd you find your way to the green room? Um, I know Adam Molyneux, uh, who's one of the green room folks. He has mm-hmm. done some coaching for our organization. And he's also connected to New Ventures West, mm. uh, which is the coaching school we went to. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How about you? Let's see. Well, I've been, Russ has been my primary Enneagram teacher. So I, mm. you know, started the very first book I read uh, back in 2017 when I discovered the Enneagram was his wisdom of the Enneagram. And then I, you know, mm. started reading all the other big teachers. And when I started choosing formal Enneagram trainings, I started going to the trainings that Russ was offering. And yeah, there's something about the way that he teaches. There's a realism to it. His breadth of knowledge mm. is wonderful. And I just really enjoy his style. So when uh, when I heard, so I'm kind of on his mailing list for things. And when Catherine was launching the green room and there was the opportunity to work in a smaller group format with Russ, my body just gave it a big yes. And I did it last year. And I would say that I've gone to so many of Russ's teachings now that it's definitely my second, sometimes third time through hearing him say certain things, but I still just, it's the kind of thing that you can always benefit hearing more than once. But I also am just getting so much satisfaction out of the community and Mm. having these kinds of conversations and hearing what people are doing. And as I sort of step into this landscape, um, as I create a network of people that I just want to know who's doing what work where. And Mm. I get really excited about ideas of my two wing comes out because when I hear somebody that's needing support in some way, I like knowing who's out there that could offer it and for myself as well as other people. So it's just really sweet to make these connections. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. It's yeah. wonderful to get to know you more. Yeah. And uh, I'll see you we'll in the green connected. room. Yes, you will. Okay. Thanks, Derek. Take care. Bye, Kat. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.